Well, we are on our way through 1 Peter, and I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. Uh, just has been so nourishing for me. Uh, before we move off of this slide, I wanted to tell you that Douglas made this uh, representing a lot of things about Calvary. You'll, you'll see our wooden boards behind there. But the passport has the lion seal, so that's the, the heavenly passport, meaning we are exiles on our way to our promised land. The arrows signify that we are elect in the past, but we're on our way to the consummation of all things. And of course, the red is the blood of the lamb that saves us. So thank you to our beloved Gestor for that. Uh, just reviewing quickly, since we are elect exiles, elect by the foreknowledge of God, saved in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, uh, and born again into an inheritance which is our living hope. I hope your hope is more and more set on the inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. Since all that is true, we put away all anti-love like malice and deceit, hypocrisy and envy and slander, and we long for or even crave the pure spiritual milk, God's kindness through His Word, in the Spirit, and fellowship. So that's something the Lord really revealed to me after the message last week. Remember we were talking about a baby's longing for mother's milk? That a baby is born craving that pure, pure milk of uh, a mother. And then when the baby comes to the breast, there's this intimate connection between their eyes, the mother and the baby, gazing at each other, creating this relationship right from birth, but that warmth and security surely represents the body of Christ. So craving sp pure spiritual milk is not just you and me in our studies reading the Word. That's crucial, fundamental. It's also coming together in His name. It's enjoying the fellowship that we had on Friday night as men with tables all over this place filled up with people uh, talking to one another, getting to know one another, loving each other, praying for each other and sensing the life of God in the body of Christ, the warmth of physical presence of followers of Jesus is fundamental for your feeding, the feeding of your faith. And so again, I want to encourage all of you who are online, I'm glad you can do that, and some of you have to do that, and I understand that. But if you don't have to do it online, please come, enjoy fellowship, come be with us. There's room, there are seats here. And we would love to receive you with a hug as you come. So today we're moving into a new section, verses 4 through 8 of 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8. And the title is, Come to the Corner, Built Up as a Spiritual House. I don't know if you've read the Narnia series. I hope so. Uh, I always like to say that the, the Chronicles of Narnia next to the Bible are the way I know God the best. Very powerful books. C.S. Lewis wrote them for the revelation of who Jesus is, and he chose children's literature not because he thought it would sell, but because he knew that the kingdom is a place where children are welcome. And you have to be like a child to get in. And so he wrote a children's book to teach everybody who Jesus is. In the silver chair, two children, uh, Eustace Scrub 
and Jill Pohl are called out of our world into Narnia and given a mission. They meet Aslan, who is the Jesus figure in the story, and Aslan gives them four signs. Does anybody remember what the four signs are? You'll meet a king. You'll uh, find... Anyway, there's a second one. And then the third one is... Uh, you'll see a stone. Oh, you'll come to the castle of the giants and you'll see a stone and you're to obey what's written on that stone. And then the first person you meet who says, praise to Aslan, he's the one you're looking for. Four signs. And Aslan said, review the signs every day so you don't forget. Well, they didn't. That's your first lesson. Read the Bible every day or you're going to forget what it says, right? So these children over and over, they miss all three of the first signs. Not until the fourth one do they finally realize, the signs are the whole point of the mission. But the third sign is this giant. So this is the land of the giants. And on this huge plain of stone, they're picturing a stone like one of these. But on this giant plain, they've, they've uh, gotten lost. They've wandered in this kind of wilderness. They finally get taken in by these giants into this castle. And they look out the window of the giant's castle and they see the rock plane that they were lost in, and it says, on the rocks, under me. Remember that? And they realize, where we were wandering, we were actually wandering right in the letters that told us what to do, which says, under me is the secret. When I was studying this passage this week, that story came to mind because the cornerstone is constantly putting himself in front of us so that we stumble over him. And I'm convinced that everyone, when they see Jesus face to face, and we will all see him, we will all stand before him as the judge, and he will look at us and smile, and we will say, you were that rock that I kept tripping over. You were the one that held everything together. You kept bumping into me, and I never recognized, I never bent my knee, I never realized that you're the whole point of my life. So my prayer for myself this morning and for you, just as we prayed on Friday, is that God would open our eyes to how close Jesus is, how present he is in our story. And if we don't have that spiritual vision, we'll just keep tripping over him and trying to do our own thing, thinking that it's about making money or being somebody or growing in a worldly direction instead of bending our knee and building our life around the cornerstone. Let's read 2 Peter 2, just these verses, 4 through 8. <clears throat> oh, by the way, when we're done, I'm going to have you turn to your neighbor and give a summary of what we read, all right? So pay attention. You're going to have a minute, one minute, to tell in your own words what these words said. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, 
and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Turn to your neighbor and tell them what this said. Now, if you're the one listening and they forget something, remind them of something they left out. Basically, what Peter is telling us is that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who have believed. Verse 6. stands in Scripture that, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Believers come to Jesus and build their whole life around Him as the cornerstone. They align themselves with Him. They build their whole life around Him. And then there are unbelievers, those who have rejected him. This is verse, uh, verses 7 and 8. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. So these unbelievers disobey because they don't believe it and are offended, reject him, and fall. Believers get the honor of being part of a spiritual house. It's about honor or shame in the presence of the cornerstone, in the presence of the builder of the house who is actually the house. He's building himself. He's building his own body, which is the habitation of the people of God forever and ever. So builders get the honor of being part of this spiritual house, a dwelling place for God in us and God among us. Don't miss that. We're going to get there. It's not just God in you. It's God in us, among us. Unbelievers reject Him as the foundation of their lives and choose to be offended by Him and so stumble. Isaiah 28 says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, this is not talking about today, right? Because today, it does look a little bit foolish, a little bit 
counterintuitive and even against intelligence to follow an invisible God that you claim died on a cross for you and made everything. Looks stupid. But let me tell you, when our eyes are opened, all of us, and all of our tongues confess, and all of our knees bend before him, everyone will say, how could I have been so stupid to live on a blue and green planet full of diversity in the middle of a space full of fire and ice and darkness and not know that there was a loving, personal, powerful creator behind all of it? That's blindness. And it looks so smart right now. He who believes in him will not be put to shame. So Jesus says this to the builders. Now Jesus is giving that scathing talk to the Pharisees at the end of his life. This is one of the main reasons they ended up nailing him to a cross with the Roman hammer. Right? Matthew 21. Jesus said to them, the Pharisees, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected? Now he's saying, you're the builders, you're the religious leaders, you're supposed to be taking care of God's people, but you are rejecting the stone and it has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting Isaiah here, therefore I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its Fruit. Calvary International Church, is that us? I hope. I hope. Because it can be taken away from us too if we don't produce its fruit. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. I think that's what happened to the two gentlemen that hugged me this week in, in tears I had never seen before. They had fallen on the stone and been broken into pieces so that God can put them back together in his grace and make them beautiful parts of his restored, renewed, reconciled house. So we always ask three questions of a text. What does it say? You have to start there. Don't start with what does it mean. Start with what does it say. Make sure you know what it says. That's what we just did. And then you go into interpretation. What does it mean? And it can only mean one main thing. Don't make it walk on all fours. Don't make it mean whatever you feel like it means. It means one thing. It means something that that writer said to that audience that now can be applied to you. So once you know what it says and what it means, you can go into application. What does it mean? As you come to him. As you come to him. This is our part. It means coming to him in salvation. I'm painfully aware that there are people who are coming to Calvary that have never truly come to them, come to Christ in their hearts as the cornerstone. That's the first awakening. That's what we read about in Ephesians, that we were dead. We're an old rock, cold, dead, can't come to anybody, can't move. And God calls us out of our death and sin. And he draws us to himself, and he enlivens us with his indestructible life. So it's, first of all, coming in salvation. But that's not all. It's coming to the sanctuary of your own heart. See, I've stopped calling this the sanctuary. I don't know if you've ever called it that. 
this room is not the sanctuary. You are. If you have invited Christ into your heart, if you have set him on the throne of your holy of holies down in your spirit, which was dead and now has been made alive by the Holy Spirit inside of you, and out of your inner being is now starting to gurgle the water of the spirit, then you are his sanctuary. And not just, we, see, we are temples. 1 Corinthians 6 says your bodies are are temples of the Holy Spirit, but they are joined together to form the house. So it's not biblical to say, I am the church, right? You can say, I am a temple, a tabernacle, wandering around the world, taking the, the presence of God with me. But we join together as living stones form a spiritual house, so we are the church. And so when someone says to you on Sunday morning, welcome to the house of God, what they're truly saying, I hope, according to the scripture, is the living stones have again come clacking together, and God lives in us. And when we leave, it's just bricks and mortar and electric wires, right? The house of God goes marching out, like the tabernacle, on the shoulders of God's people, filling the world with the knowledge of his glory. You come to him in the sanctuary of your heart. And it's progressive because Peter uses the word as. As you come. He's talking to believers. He's talking to elect exiles. So as you keep coming, as you come back to him in your anguish, in your need, in your, your sadness, as you come to him, as you come to the body, gathered in his name. This is that warmth and kindness of his grace. You're coming to Jesus when you come here. Elias was saying to me this morning, so many men weren't at the pizza night. So many men didn't come. And maybe they were distracted or maybe, maybe they had something else good to do with the people of God. That's fine. We're not judging. But what a wonderful sense of God's presence was here. We come because of him. We love him. So we love him. Each other. And when we come in his name, he meets us in the gathered people of God. But then there's more than that. He says, whatever you do to the least of these, my little brothers, you do to me. And there are people outside that Jesus says, there I am. He said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? People that Jesus says, what you do to this person, you do to me. If you say you love me, love them. The little ones, the poor ones, the invisible people, the unreached people that he so longs to have as part of his spiritual house. So we come in salvation. We come in our own souls daily, hopefully more than daily, moment by moment, depending on him. We come in the gathered body of Christ, and we come by going to find those that he has elected to be rescued from the mud of sin and made part of his spiritual house. There are precious stones. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about building. What are you building with? Are you building with wood and hay and stubble and stuff that's going to burn up? That's all this stuff, right? Or are you building with precious stones, silver and gold that will last forever? That's the precious people that we are reaching with that 30% of our budget, hopefully trying to draw precious stones into his body. Now, Hebrews adds some light to this. It talks about Jesus being outside the camp. Here's what it says. We have an 
altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For where we hear, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to him. Come to him outside the camp. That means outside your schedule. That means outside of what's popular, intelligent, admired. Some of you did that last Sunday afternoon, going to Paulista. Feels stupid to go to Paulista and talk to people about Jesus. We, we kind of got mixed up for political movements and what is this, another political party? No, 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 it's, this is your life. Outside the camp means get out of bed in the morning and read your Bible. Outside the camp means walk across the aisle and knock on somebody's door and say, have I ever told you what Jesus has done in my life? Outside the camp means wake up and say, Jesus, what are you doing that's not even on my schedule? Come to Jesus outside the camp. Come to him, for back to, to 2 Peter, a living stone, a living stone. See, these are dead stones, right? These stones aren't going anywhere. I got them out of my garden this morning. And I thought, yeah, that's what I was, dead stone, cold, hard, not able to move an inch, right? Not able to do anything, not able to build themselves into anything. But Jesus is the living stone, and he became human so that he could connect the living stones that he makes into a spiritual house. This took me back to Daniel 2. Remember Daniel 2, and Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of an image with a golden head and silver shoulders and bronze stomach and iron legs and clay feet. Remember that? And it represented all the kingdoms of the world. And what happened to the clay feet, which represent, by the way, the Roman Empire? A stone. Remember? A stone cut out without human hands, which means born of a virgin, falls from heaven, hits the feet and the image of man's world, man's kingdom, blows away like dust in the wind. And the rock that hits the feet grows. Now, how does a rock grow? It grows by being living, by attracting new living stones, by attaching itself, and it fills everything and becomes a mountain. And Daniel says that's what's happening with history. The living stone crashed into the Roman Empire. No, guess what? It was a pebble. Nobody noticed. And the, the kingdoms of this world began to become the kingdoms of our God because the living stone started building himself with other living stones into a sanctuary for God. Peter says this living stone is rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. At home, we're memorizing Isaiah chapter 53. It says, He had no stately form or comeliness, beauty, that we should be attracted to Him. It's not this beauty. It's this beauty. 
It's not intelligent, worldly attractiveness that Jesus draws you with. It's his powerful, loving forgiveness, kindness, and truth that call us into the light out of darkness. He's rejected. Just like some of us where I asked Violet last weekend, last Sunday afternoon on Paulista, hey, did you hand out some Gospels of John? He said, she said, a few, but most people don't want it, Dad. Most people say, no, no, thank you, that's just religion. I said, yep, that's the way it is. It's always a remnant. It's always a few that see it, that choose it. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So here's the main action. The main action is not what we do, but what God's doing. See, it's a passive verb. It's a reflexive verb. You are being built up. Who's doing the building? The Holy Spirit is drawing us to one another. The Holy Spirit is drawing you in, out of the dark, cold death of sin, into His abundant light, the kingdom of light, to make you part of the spiritual house. And He does that as you come to Him. As we come to him, he is building us up into a spiritual house. On Friday night, one of the men that came was Samuel Condori, who is a Bolivian missionary to Brazil. He lives in Residencial Cocaya. If you've ever been there, you know it's the Confins da Terra of Sao Paulo. When the, when the buildings finally end and it's just grass by the Hepresa, you're in Cocaya. The only people that live there are people who can't afford to live anywhere else. And he brought with him Gabriel, a tall, good-looking... Somebody say he looked like Cristiano Ronaldo. Good-looking kid that Samuel rescued out of the favela using a football. And now Gabriel wants to be a missionary. A precious stone mined in the mud of a place nobody wants to go. And Jesus elects one and says, I want this one in my house. And Samuel knew that. And your offerings are helping Samuel put food on the plate. I'm hoping to take him to Kathmandu in November, so help me. He's always been called to go to, to India and never gotten there. He came to Brazil to train with Kaidos Mission so that he could go to India, and he got stuck. But he's just doing the Lord's work here while he waits and rescuing precious living stones that he's building into, God is building through his coming. See, he came. He, he came to Gabriel when he was worth nothing to anybody. And now he's precious and chosen and building in to our body as part of God's house. What is this house? Let's interpret this house using these few verses right now. Number one, it's a spiritual house. It's a spiritual house. The house of God is a spiritual house. Jesus said no one will say there or here is the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is within, among, invisible, walking around with you as you love each other as I loved you. That's how people will know that you're my disciples. It's a spiritual house. We're being built up. Acts 17, Paul says, The God who made the heaven and the earth does not live in houses made with hands. I'm glad we have this building. I'm glad. It's a wonderful place to hide from the cold and the rain on Sunday morning and have sound and lights and PowerPoint and all that. But that's not the house of God, right? We are. 
It's a growing house. We're built up by God, by the Holy Spirit, out of stones made alive by His Spirit. It's a dynamic house. It's growing. It's unfinished. It's like a building that's still got pieces missing because we got to go find every tribe and tongue and family and nation so that we can bless them by being part of Christ's body, His growing spiritual house. And it's joined together by love for Christ. So that's why I brought these rocks. This is not a house. A pile of rocks is not a house. A bunch of people who come to a meeting on Sunday morning is not a house. What's the difference? What has to happen to rocks in order to build a house? Remember Glenn's message? Glenn's tools, Glenn's expertise, they need to be attached to one another. They need to be cemented on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. See, the Bible says, at the fullness of time, Christ came, born of a woman, born under the law, on the foundation, underground, of all of the Old Testament stories and prophets. And then Jesus says, now's the time. Bang. And he lays a cornerstone the beginning of the house of God, laid on the foundation of all of the Jewish culture and history that God had built, but now the house would include every culture, every color, every part of humanity is called into this spiritual building that He is cementing with us. And so, what is the cement? Love. Speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, grow up into him who is the head. It's truth and love. Don't fall into the trap of thinking the Beatles, right? The Beatles weren't right. All you need is love. Because that's what the world says. And they think we're bigots because we say, no, you got to have some truth there too. See, the truth is the cement. Maybe the love is the sand. You need about three times sand as you do cement. So if you just put sand between the rocks, they'll fall down. But just cement is also brittle. So truth and love form this mortar into which we're being built up into a spiritual house that Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says is filling everything in every way. See, Nicholas working over there at the Prefeitura of Sao Paulo is taking the house of God right into the houses of government. Somebody in business, somebody in education, somebody in uh, another country, and God's holy spiritual house is growing into every place with the mortar that is attached. That's why I'm so passionate about potlucks. <laughs> I bet you didn't think I was going to say that. The potluck is a place to put a little mortar on the edge of your stone and say, hey, come over here. I'm, I've been worshiping with you for 20 years, and I've never heard your story. Tell me your story. Just know them. Just love them. Just speak the truth. And then the spiritual house gets adjusted, gets connected, and we grow in Jesus together. But Jesus, uh, Peter moves into a, a new picture of what happens in this house. He says, we're called to be a holy priesthood for the offering of spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Remember when David said, I want to build a house for God? 
David said, I've got a nice house, but God's still in a tent. That's not fair. I need to build God a house. It was his idea. God didn't say, build me a house, right? Nathan, the prophet, came and said, sure. Then Nathan went to sleep, and the next day he came back and said, yeah, God gave me a, a new edition of that message. You can do whatever you want. You can have your son build me a house. Don't you build it because your hands are full of war and blood. Have your son build it, and I'll accept it. But let me tell you something, David. Remember this? I'm going to build you a house, and your house will never end. The house of David is the foundation of Jesus, which is our house. That's the house we're part of, the house that God is building for spiritual sacrifices to be offered through Jesus Christ. What are these spiritual sacrifices? So I did a little bit of investigation. As the New Testament church, as the house of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, what sacrifices remain? Didn't Jesus say it is finished? Most of them are found in that passage in Hebrews 13 that we just read. Look at this. Number one, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you offer what? Your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God by His mercy through Jesus, right? First sacrifice in the temple of God, our bodies. You know, Jesus loves the smell. God loves the smell of shuhasko. He calls it a pleasing aroma. In the tabernacle, it was going all the time. There's always this shuhasko. It attracted people. Wow, what's that smell? Oh, it's the worship of God. I want my life to smell like shuhasko. So what do, I mean? what do I mean? These desires of the flesh come up out of me. God made me that way. Sin twisted me. And you have desires. Your head suddenly says, let's see what's happening over there on that site I saw one time. Or, ladies, maybe that's not what your head says. Your head says, I'm going to call up so-and-so and tell them what I learned at the prayer meeting today. Right? Desire of the flesh. And the Spirit says, put that on the altar. Burn it up. Your body has desires that you need to say, deny yourself, take up your cross and say, Lord, I'm your temple, and there's some, there's some flesh burning on the altar in my heart. Deny yourself doesn't mean you're gaining points with God. It just means I'm going to obey you and not my urges, not my glands, not my carnal mind. Don't let those things sizzle and just burn. God is pleased with that decision, however little it is. Let those things burn. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, moment by moment by moment. New thoughts will come, new temptations will come, even good things, right? Friday, if you fasted with us, there's that urge, God, man, I sure would like a banana right now, right? You say, nope, don't say no to that, put it on the altar, because together we're seeking God for vision. Your body is a living sacrifice. Second, Hebrews chapter 13 15. Mark this then. Wait. Oh, no, that's Psalm 50. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Offer up praise from lips that are sanctified as a sacrifice. The sacrifice of praise. Now, I want to read to you Psalm 50, 22 and 23. Listen to this. Mark this then, you who forget God. That's me, right? In the middle of a rush of a Wednesday morning, I forget God. 
I'm depending on my own resources, my own intelligence, trying to solve some problem. Everything's going haywire, and I've forgotten. Wait, God. Mark this, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me, and I will show him the path of salvation. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for this crash. Lord, thank you for this morning. I praise you for giving me understanding. On, uh, let's see, it was Wednesday morning. I woke up and my heart was a little heavy. The Lord reminded me of my grandfather's favorite song. I don't even know how it came to my mind because I haven't heard it for a couple of years. Why should I be discouraged? Do you remember that song? Why should the sorrows come? Why should my heart be lonely? Ask yourself that question. And long for heaven and home. Now you're listening, aren't you? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. Sing with me. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me again. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. I sang it out loud in the bathroom, feeling heavy hearted. And I believe God received it as a sacrifice of praise. Not to gain salvation, not to gain points, but to please the one who purchased me with his blood. A sacrifice of thanksgiving, a sacrifice of praise. When it makes no sense, it's just a sacrifice. And then finally, doing good. Hebrews 3, again, let me, let me read that because here's where the sacrifice comes. Here we have no lasting city. This is uh, Hebrews 13, not 3. But we seek the city that is come th uh, through him. Let us continually offer, to, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Down to dollars and cents. Hey, eyes and centavos. What you do with your money in the temple of Jesus has to do with our spiritual calling as priests. It's not all for you. Some of it is. Some of it's for others. And doing good, serving with your money, with your time, with your effort, is part of what we do. I want us to go back to this phrase, through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ means, sorry, we are built up through Jesus Christ. We are a holy priesthood through Jesus Christ. We offer spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ. We are acceptable to God, and those sacrifices are acceptable to God. Not because of us, 
but through Jesus Christ. The Bible says Jesus is the veil that was rent, and through him, every step of the way, as you received him, so walk in him. Through Jesus, we do all of these things. Gary, where'd you, where'd you hide the, the handkerchief? Oh, there we go. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So what does this mean? As we come to application, come to him. Come to Jesus. I, I hope you have come to him in salvation. I hope you come to him every day. I hope you gather with the body of Christ and not just on Sunday morning. I hope you have a, a group that you gather with. I hope you gather with the women's groups and the men's groups because you're coming not just to each other, you're coming to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Make a new commitment this morning to come to Him. If you've never come to Him for salvation, I would just be so happy. I've led two people to the Lord in the last month, and it's just made me so happy to see new babies being born among us. Come to Jesus. Second, Glue yourself to other living stones. Luke 16.9 has become one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's that crazy story of the, of the servant that steals his master's money, remember? And the, and the master's going to send him away because he's stealing the money. And the servant starts giving his money to people so that they'll welcome, them in, welcome him into their houses when he's fired. And Jesus said, learn from this guy. Use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when the wealth runs out, the friends will welcome you into eternal dwellings. That word eternal dwellings is really powerful if you meditate on it. Your friendships are where Jesus will live forever. Friendship in the Lord is the mortar between the stones. How many of those do you have? Find more. Commit to love one another. We have a church covenant, and I would like us to read it together. <clears throat> we're going to do this right now because we're a little late. Um, it is hanging right out here on the wall. There's a new banner, so as you have lunch, you can look at it a little more closely. Um, can you see that from where you're sitting? All right. So uh, let's read the first paragraph all together. Then we're going to have men read, and then we're going to have women read, and then we're going to read all together again, all right? This is what Calvary commits to doing, and it has to do with our application. All right, reading together. Having been led by the Holy Spirit of God to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and to confess Him as Lord, and on confession of this faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God and this assembly most solemnly and joyfully covenant with one another as one body in Christ to lead a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. All right, gentlemen, we promise by the aid of the Holy Spirit to forsake the ways of sin and to walk together in Christian love and in the paths of righteousness. With this in view, we engage to strive together for both the peace and purity of this church to sustain its worship and steadfastly to cherish 
and hold its ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. Ladies. Altogether, we also engage to maintain family and private devotions, to teach the Bible to our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to be just in our dealings and faithful in our engagements, to be exemplary in our deportment, to avoid unkind words and unrighteous anger, to abstain from every form of evil, to combine zeal and knowledge in our efforts to advance the cause of our Savior, to make Christ first in all things, both spiritual and temporal. We further engage to give and receive admonition with meekness and affection, to remember each in prayer and to aid each other in case of sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling, courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the Scriptures, to seek it without delay, to encourage one another in the blessed hope of our Lord's return. We moreover engage that when we move from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some local church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of the Word of God. Did you know you had made those commitments? I hope so, because it's been printed on a piece of paper back here for quite a while. If you'd like to take a copy home and take a better look at it, please do. Uh, these are wonderful. Wait, this is not quite over, is it? Let's finish. Therefore, I personally accept the responsibilities as a member of Calvary International Church to hold the Bible as supreme authority in all matters in my life, to faithfully attend the church's worship services and business meetings, and to support the church through prayer and finances as the Lord enables me. Lord, help us do that.